Hey everybody, this is Terry McLeish from CaternixCorner.com and this is the Caternix Corner Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to helping you in your journey with Caternix quail. This is our very first episode and today we'll be talking about improving your hatch rates on chipped eggs. I'll share with you some tips that will help you determine why your hatch rates might not be as good as you like. So stick around to the end where I'll list the five takeaways from this to help you achieve better hatch results. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. The main objective when hatching eggs is to get the best hatch rate for the money that you've spent on the eggs. And it can be somewhat discouraging, especially to newcomers, if you get poor hatch results right out of the gate. There are several factors that can affect your hatch, and I want to go over some of the more common ones and what you can do to give yourself a better chance at getting good results. Eggs from your own birds or eggs that are picked up locally usually give better results over eggs that have been shipped. But with that said, for this podcast, I want to concentrate on eggs that you've ordered from breeders or hatcheries that will be shipping the eggs to you through the U.S. Postal System, uh, because I think that's where most of you will be getting your eggs from. Shipping is unbelievably hard on eggs. The entire process of shipping was not designed to get a box of hatching eggs to you safely and securely. Your packages may be subject to x-ray machines, conveyor systems that drop into large sorting bins, or postal employees that aren't very careful when handling packages, or even bouncing around in the back of a postal mail truck. All of these contribute to the success or failure of your hatch. Uh, I had a Caternix Corner group member one time tell me about a time where she went to the post office to pick up her shipment of hatching eggs. And when she got there, the postal employee uh, was coming from the back room with her package and he was spinning the box on his finger like a basketball. And he accidentally dropped the box on the counter right in front of her. And she pointed to a sticker on the top of the box that said, handle with care and looked up at him and said, can't you read? This is just one example of how your packages can be mishandled through the postal service. Uh, picture this. The egg has an air cell on the large end of the egg that supplies the chick with oxygen when it internally pips. What happens during shipping is if the egg is jostled around enough, the air cell actually becomes detached. And then if the egg does develop, the chick can actually suffocate inside the egg due to a lack of breathable air because the air cell wasn't positioned correctly at the time of hatching. While quail eggs are pretty resilient uh, and can handle shipping fairly well, they can become damaged to the point that they either won't develop or partially develop and the embryo dies inside the egg prior to hatching. For the most part though, suppliers or breeders have developed shipping methods or protocols that really help to get your eggs delivered safely to you with minimal damage. Um, things like specially made foam inserts that hold the eggs securely to prevent, you know, breakage while being shipped, custom boxes, or even double boxing techniques that give added protection against rough handling. I know it can be discouraging if you get a poor hatch rate, especially if this is your first time incubating eggs. The thing I want you to remember is that shipped eggs are a gamble. If you remember this going in, you won't ever be disappointed if you don't get the results that you expected. On average, about half the eggs that you set will hatch out. 
Uh, it doesn't matter who you get your eggs from. No supplier or breeder can guarantee that you'll have a minimum hatch rate. It's like offering a guarantee on a lottery ticket. It's just not going to happen. But there are a few things that you can do that will give you a better chance and help you to increase your hatch rate percentages. And the first thing is to purchase your hatching eggs from a reputable breeder. Most breeders that ship outside of their home state are required to be NPIP certified in order to ship across state lines. Uh, NPIP certified breeders have had their flocks tested annually for Polarum typhoid and biannually for avian influenza. So at least you know you'll be getting uh, eggs that come from a, a disease-free flock. While an NPIP certification doesn't guarantee you'll get a better hatch rate, it will give you peace of mind knowing that the breeder cares enough about his flock and customers to provide disease-free birds. Also, just because a breeder or hatchery has a large operation doesn't guarantee uh, quality or genetically clean birds. Some of the best jumbo lines and color varieties that I've hatched come from small mom and pop operations. In my opinion, they are able to manage a smaller flock more efficiently and can cull out unwanted traits or genetically defective birds, just reducing the chance that you'll get bad genetics or traits like overly aggressive birds. And if you purchase from a breeder that has exceptional bloodlines, you'll be obtaining quality birds even if you have a limited hatch. And this will get you much further along than a good hatch of substandard birds. Uh, another thing that can affect viability of an egg is the age of the egg when you receive it. Eggs that are 10 or more days old see lower development rates than eggs that are, you know, seven days or less old. Um, you can contact the breeder and ask you know, how many days he collects eggs before shipping and then calculate the number of days that the eggs will be in transit uh, to get a total of how old the eggs are by the time you receive them. The second thing you can do is once you receive your eggs is to give the eggs a resting period uh, prior to setting them in the incubator. And this can be just removing them from the shipping box, but leaving them in the foam inserts and make sure that the pointy end of the egg is oriented in the downward position and placing them in a safe place for a period of 12 to 24 hours just to allow the egg to settle and hopefully the air cell to reorient and reattach. Uh, what I do is I place my eggs in the egg turners and I place them into an already warmed up incubator without plugging in the egg turner. This way the eggs can be brought up to temperature while still allowing the eggs to rest and hopefully air cell to reorient. Uh, but then after 24 hours, I'll plug the turner in and incubate as usual. Probably the biggest factor that can affect a hatch is the actual incubation conditions. Coturnix quail eggs require between 17 and 18 days of incubation to fully develop and hatch. Uh, the optimal temperature for egg development is between 99 and 100 degrees Fahrenheit, with 99.5 being the target zone. Uh, the egg should be turned for the first 14 days and then put into what's known as lockdown until the eggs hatch. Uh, humidity levels for the first 14 days should be between 35 and 45 percent. And while turning the eggs isn't absolutely necessary to have a successful hatch, I would recommend it. Um, I want to explain lockdown briefly for those of you who are not familiar with the term. 
Lockdown basically is a period where the eggs are removed from the turners, usually on day 14 or 15, and placed on their sides in a hatching tray or basket, and they are not touched again until they hatch out. Once you place your eggs into lockdown, you want to raise the humidity up to around 65 or 75 percent. And what this does is help with softening the eggshell to make it a little easier for the chick to pip. This lockdown period allows the chick to get correctly positioned in the egg to facilitate hatching. The chick's head will be positioned under his left wing and oriented towards the large end of the egg where the air cell is. And on day 17 or 18, the chick will internally pip, which just means that the chick has broken the inner membrane of the egg into the air cell. And this is when the chick breathes air for the first time. So now you can see why it's so important for the air cell to be correctly positioned in the egg. Once the chick internally pips, he will usually take a break for a while to regain his strength before the external pip. Uh, the external pip is where the chick actually chips a hole in the eggshell and breathes outside air for the first time. And again, after the external pip, the chick may take another rest period before continuing on with unzipping. Uh, you may see the chick's beak sticking out of the freshly chipped hole, and it may take another 12 or more hours before the chicks regain enough strength to continue on. Unzipping is where the chick chips away at the eggshell around the perimeter of the egg until he can escape by popping the end of the egg off. While in lockdown, you want to make sure that you don't open the incubator after the first egg is pipped as this can cause a drop in humidity and actually cause the egg membrane to shrink wrap around the chick, trapping him inside the egg. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit more about incubation conditions. The two most important factors are temperature and humidity. Not all incubators are built equally. Most of your lower end or entry level incubators don't create optimal conditions for a successful hatch. They may not hold uniform temperatures, or they may have warm or cold spots in the incubator, giving you a staggered hatch, which is where you might get a few eggs that'll hatch out early. You'll get some eggs that hatch out on time, and you'll get other eggs that hatch, you know, two or three days late. Or if your incubator doesn't read correctly, you can actually be incubating at temperatures that is either too cool or too warm. Uh, you can usually determine this by testing the incubator with a calibrated thermometer and adjust the controller to a level that will bring your temperatures into the correct zone. Another telltale sign that your temperatures are off is if you are having eggs hatching early, like on day 16, or late, like on day 20 or 21. If they're hatching early, the temperatures are too warm in the incubator, and if they're hatching late, uh, the temperatures are too cold. Another factor that can affect incubation conditions is the room conditions where your incubator is located, especially when it comes to humidity. A room that is not climate controlled or that has a relative high humidity can actually raise the humidity inside your incubator. Uh, and this is the case here in Florida where our daily relative humidity can be anywhere from 50 to 90%. And this is why I do what's known as a dry hatch which basically just means that I don't add any water to the incubator for the first 14 days. On the other hand, if your incubator is located in an air-conditioned room where the humidity will be much lower, it can actually cause lower humidity inside the incubator. 
So adjusting incubation techniques to fit the condition of your location can go a long way in bettering your hatch results. Placement in the room is also important. You don't want the incubator exposed to a window where direct sunlight can shine in on it, causing the internal temperatures to rise, uh, or in an unheated room in colder climates where the incubator just can't keep up. You want to make sure also that it's in a location where pets or young children uh, can't access the incubator, you know, accidentally bumping it or knocking it over. Uh, and it's also good practice to preheat your incubator two or three days prior to setting your eggs, uh, just to make sure that everything's working properly and the temperatures are stable. Also, don't skimp on equipment, especially your incubator. A couple brands that I would recommend that have uh, small entry-level size incubators right up to larger tabletop models are Barato and Brinzia. They are both proven incubator designs that deliver excellent results. If you're looking for a commercially sized cabinet incubator, GQF has the Sportsman 1502, which is very popular amongst larger breeders and commercial operations. You can actually build your own incubator for a relatively low cost, which also can produce good results. We have the DIY incubator design on Caternix Corner YouTube channel that consistently gets good results once it's set up and dialed in. So check that out. Okay, so now you know some of the most common reasons for a poor hatch. Let's recap what you can do to help get a better hatch rate on your next set of hatching eggs. Number one, purchase from a reputable NPIP certified breeder, remembering that the size of the operation isn't as important as their reputation for supplying healthy and genetically clean stock. Number two, give your eggs a rest period of 12 to 24 hours to let the eggs settle and reorient the air cell prior to placing them in the incubator. Number three, make sure your incubation conditions are optimal. This means stable temperatures in the proper temperature range and that your humidity isn't too high during incubation or too low during lockdown, and that the external conditions around your incubator don't affect your incubator's ability to work properly. Number four, calibrate your equipment. Prior to setting your eggs, you want to run your incubator to make sure that everything is running stable and that your temperatures are in the zone that you want. Number five, use quality equipment. Don't skimp on the most important piece of gear when it comes to hatching eggs. Spending a little more in the beginning can save you a lot of money in the long run if you're getting better hatch rates. Okay, so I want to thank you for joining me today, and I invite you back again next week for another exciting look into keeping these amazing birds. Be sure to check out Caternix Corner community website at caternixcorner.com. Uh, it includes a library of educational materials, a marketplace, and a community of like-minded people willing to help you out in your journey with Caternix Quail. We'll see you next week, and thanks for listening.